Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Francis, for the introduction. And let's just appreciate the worship team. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into a time of seeking and worshipping God. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but it's always good to be back in the house of God. It's so wonderful to be able to come here and just enjoy the sweet, sweet presence of God. But more than that, um, it's also wonderful that we can come back to see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're worshipping God uh, together as a family. Amen? There's something different about uh, worshipping alone and worshipping corporately because it is in a gathering like this that we can encourage each other to, to just give God the highest praise. Amen? Amen. Now this month, I would rather this, this six months, our theme has been on mentoring. And today, I'm just going to take kind of like a short little detour. And I want to talk about worship. And really, it's because we want to promote uh, this coming Friday night. This coming Friday night, the church is organizing a worship night. And that is at 8.30pm where we have invited a guest uh, worship team and a guest speaker to come and challenge us to really surrender all and give back unto God. Now, uh, because of the pandemic that, you know, uh, hit us for the past two years, a lot of people, you know, when we were stuck at home and we could only attend services online. Now, somehow that caused a lot of people to develop the pattern of just sitting or just watching and, and it became a spectator activity. But we know that worship is not about just watching. Worship is more than just more than participating. Worship is giving all glory, all honor, and all praise unto God. And because of the pandemic, unfortunately, many of us were conditioned to just take a seat back or just to distance ourselves from the screen. And we don't want to do that. That's not what worship is about. Worship is engaging, in, is in giving glory, sing, singing praises from our heart, from our entire being back unto God. And so that's why it's so important for us to re-educate ourselves and to re-recondition ourselves to know that not just watch, not just, not just participate, but fully with all your entire being, give worship back unto God. So how we worship, how we worship should be based on who God is. He is God. He is Lord. He is Master. That is why we worship. Because He is deserving of our worship. But how we relate with Him, how we relate with God, how we talk to Him, how we behave, now that is affected by who we are. Can I say it again? How we worship should be based on who God is. He is deserving of worship no matter what. But how we relate with Him, how we talk, how we behave when we're in His presence is dependent on who we are. In other words, our identity shapes our beliefs, our values, our principles, and ultimately, our behavior. It is all affected and shaped by our identity. So, let me ask you this question. Who are you? Have you ever had someone ask you this important question before? Who are you? And what would your answer be? If you ident identify as a, as a husband, for example, or you identify as a, 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 a parent, that would be your identity. Or if you identify as a doctor, or you're an engineer, or you're an accountant, that affects how you believe, that affects how you 
you function and behave. But this morning, perhaps after the hearing the message today, some of us may need to go through a redefinition of our identity. Ultimately, at the base and at the very, very core of who we are, we are a child of God. We are a child of God. And after listening to this morning's message, I pray that, if, that God will be able to speak to you and perhaps you may need to redefine your identity. And so that's the title of my message this morning. Redefine your identity. Please turn to the one next to you and say, you may need to redefine your identity. Wow, listen to the enthusiasm. Turn to the other person and say it more joyfully. Redefine your identity. Praise the Lord. We will see why in a bit. Come, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for your awesome presence here in this place. Lord, we want to thank you, God, that you are at work in each and every one of our lives. And as we continue to learn from you, as we continue to grow from you, we pray this morning that you speak to each and every one of us. Use me, God. Use my lips. Use my entire being as your instrument for your message. And I pray, God, that your will will be done in each and every one of our lives and here in this place as well. We surrender this morning's service into your hands. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Now, essentially, mentoring is about building a relationship. You know, when we see how Jesus does his mentoring, it is about spending time building a relationship with the 12 disciples. So in a way, if you want to be a good mentor, you need to learn to, have, to develop a good relationship with your mentee. I wonder if you could just uh, participate with me. I know Jewel was telling me not to move around, but I'm going to test Jewel's ability to follow me. Just a quick show of hands, uh, just because, sorry, Jewel is on the camera. Can we just appreciate those who are on the camera crew? You see them moving around, but they're doing such a great job. You know, without, without them, uh, we would have been so limited in our services. But thank God for them, we have expanded our reach. Just a quick show of hands. Now, how many of you in this hall, or who among you, are the firstborn in your family? Raise of hands, those of you who are firstborns, firstborns, everybody take a good look at them. Ah. Can you see who are the firstborns? Firstborns family, okay, very good, very good. Thank you, thank you, put your hands down. Okay, now, how many among you here are the youngest in the family? Youngest, youngest. Ah, uh, uh, look around, who is that? Ah, uh, that makes sense, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, thank you, put your hands down. Oh, I'm surprised. Brother, you are the youngest in the family. Okay, now how many of you are the middle children? Middle children, you're the middle child. Okay, okay, middle child, which way, middle child? Now we, we, I've often heard people, middle children say that, yo, I'm the forgotten one. So we say, I didn't forget you, middle children. They say the last is the best. So middle children, just a wave, wave, we notice you as well. Now, as I was asking you to raise your hands and as you are looking around, I wonder if I were to group each and every one of you, just imagine, okay, don't do it physically, but imagine if each of you were to get out and move to your individual groups. It means you are the firstborn, you are the, the middle child, and you're the youngest. And if I were to ask you to come up with a word to define yourself or to define one another, what would you have said? Perhaps for the, for the eldest one, 
Everyone will say, ooh, this is the Taikache or the big brother. This is the one, the responsible one. Okay? Is it fair? Is that what you would think? Okay. And then earlier on when I said the youngest one, uh, what definition would, would generally people give for the youngest one? Baby. Baby. The spoiled one, the little brat. Correct or not? And then what about the middle one? Don't know. Forgotten already. People don't bother. Oh no, I didn't mean that, okay? <laughs> but the black sheep. <laughs> Ouch. Now, I'm not the middle child. I am the youngest. And the thing about these labels is that unfortunately, society has labeled us in a certain way. It is a very general title that is pasted on us simply because of the order of our birth. And for me, although I'm the youngest, I grew up with the impression that I have to be the quiet one, which means I have to be the obedient one. And somehow, because of my upbringing or whatever, it was a, a belief that I always had to be responsible. In school, I was elected as the president of societies. In church, I was the president of, of the of the youth, youth ministry. Then when I went overseas, I was again appointed to be a cell leader. And because of all these things, it put on me the, the, the it cemented the belief that I had to be responsible. And then because of um, these things that came upon me, I felt kind of like locked in. I felt like, oh, I have to behave, I cannot play, I must be more responsible, cannot joke around. And in counselling or in psychology, they call this as something as a limiting belief. A limiting belief. And I wonder this morning, how is your identity and what is your limiting belief? Now, as a child growing up, what were your labels as a kid? So take a moment to think back. What were your labels as a kid? Did they label you as the naughty one? Nah? This is a naughty one. Or, ah, oh, this is the good one. Quiet one, quiet one. Ah, you listen, listen. This is the, the one that behaves. What were your labels as a kid? Did it affect you? Did it affect your behaviour growing up? Now for me, because of my label as the quiet one, when it was time for me to further my studies, I didn't want to go overseas. But because uh, my father thought that it would be a good opportunity, he told me to go and I decided to obey. When I went overseas, I was lonely. I didn't have any friends to go along with me. And back then, it was an era where social media didn't really exist. And I felt all alone. But I thank God, at that moment when I needed him most, that for the first time, I heard his audible voice. Simply, I love you. And it was enough. It was enough for me. Yes, thank you, God, that because you love me, I will press on. I will continue to do what, to obey what it is that you've asked me to do. But then, let me just give you a bit of context what happened. When I received God's call, I refused to follow. I tried to run away. But then God seized me. He brought me back to Malaysia and dropped me back here. When I was back in Malaysia, the calling upon my life was still very real, but I ran away. I went to work as an engineer, and after two years, 
God seized me again through the storm and the thunder. Very dramatic, I'll tell you next time. And because of that, I had to surrender and I went into Bible study, uh, Bible college. When I was in Bible college, I was, the, um, I was the pioneer in the master's program. And so a lot of the lecturers were testing out their materials on me. It was extremely over uh, and I struggled through it. But because of my obedience attitude, I just continued to persevere, 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 persevere. And unfortunately, because of these things that happened in my life, I began to develop a mindset where I was trapped. I felt I was stuck. I was stuck in a limiting belief. And that's what happens to us. When there is a belief that is inaccurate, stuck in our minds or in our hearts, it will continue to shape our behavior in life. It will continue to shape our thought life. And most importantly, my case, it affected my relationship with God. We're going to look into the Bible and we're going to look at the book of Luke chapter 15. Let me give you more context about this chapter. Luke chapter 15 is a, a chapter that contains three different parables, stories that Jesus is teaching on the topic of redemption. So Jesus is among the Pharisees. He's having a meal with them and the Pharisees are not happy. Jesus, you're eating with all the sinners. So Jesus tells them these three parables about redemption. The first one, he talks about the lost sheep. The second one, he talks about the lost coin. And the third one is the one that I really want to focus on, is the parable of the lost son. And many of us know these, this, this, this story. It is also known as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, if you notice the emphasis of, that is given to these three parables, the first parable is only about four verses. The second parable is only three verses. But there is a whole 22 verses that is, um, that is given to this particular parable. And so I believe that there is an important message that God wants to speak to us today. Let me give you the, the, the quick summary of what is going on. Give the next slide, please. Now, this is a story of a man who had two sons. The older son, he is described as someone who is obedient and someone who is honouring of his father. But the second son is painted as someone who is rebellious and worldly. So one day, the younger son goes to his father and asks for his inheritance. And after taking his inheritance money, he travels far away into a foreign land and he starts to squander it in partying and wild living. But then, a famine hits and over a period of time, we, the way we understand it is that the younger son became extremely hungry and desperate, that he had to survive by begging someone to give him a job. And the job that he could find, the only job that was available, was to take care of someone else's pigs. Now, in the Jewish culture, pigs are halal, which means that this is completely detestable. But that also paints the state of desperation of this younger son. And it is at this point when he is feeding the pigs, he is so, so hungry that he, is, he wants to eat the pig's slop. That's how desperate he was. And it is at this point that he comes to his senses. Oh, if I'm going to be a farmhand, if I'm going to be a hard worker like this, I might as well work for my own father. At least when I work for my father, 
then I don't have to eat pig food. So with this in his mind, he said, at least I go home and be my father's worker. He picks himself up and he takes the long journey back home. Verses 20 to 21. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. The father ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son started to practice his speech. He said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Now, I want to highlight certain words here of limiting beliefs. Did you hear his words? I have sinned against you, and because I have sinned against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And in, in, in the earlier verses, he said, let me just be a servant in your house. Because of his past experience, this son began to develop a belief, I'm not worthy anymore. I'm not worthy. My sin is so terrible. God, I've turned against you. I'm not worthy anymore. Take me in only as a hired servant. Verse 20, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. And so the party began. This morning, I wonder if among us, there's some of you, you have identified as a servant of the Lord. Now that's good, because in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, amongst the apostles, the letters, we are called to be servants of God. But a servant of God is not our identity. A servant of God is our calling, our obedience, our mission, we must serve. But you are not a servant. You are a child of God. Amen. And this son seemed to have been trapped by that limiting belief. I'm only a servant. I'm only a servant. I'm only a servant. Do you relate? Look at what the father immediately does. Quickly, the finest robes he tells the servant. And the robe represents the father's protection and the father's covering, his love and his providence. This is not a servant. I'm providing for his covering. This is my son. Then he calls, put the ring on his finger. This is not a servant. The ring represents authority. It represents power. This man has the right to proclaim the father's decisions and business choices. This is not a servant. He is my heir. He is my son. And then he said, come, put the sandals on his feet. Now, in the context of the Jewish people back then, only servants went barefoot because they were so destitute and they were so poor, 
They could not, op- uh, they could not uh, buy shoes or sandals to cover their feet. It was non-essential. But the father is saying, do not treat this man like a poor servant. He is my son. He is my heir. He deserves to wear sandals. And so in this parable alone, Jesus was teaching to those who have, for whatever reason, turned away from God. For those who have been stuck in your sins, if you truly repent and turn back to God, He wants to restore to you the privileges of a son that was stolen by sin. You are not merely a servant. A servant is what you do, but your identity is a child of God. Let's read on. Let's see what happens next. Oh, do you know that oftentimes when we talk about the parable of the lost son, for me at least, I always thought that this parable was about the youngest son. How many of you can relate? Whenever you hear the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son, you thought, oh yeah, it's about the, the youngest son. None of you. Okay, well done. I thought that the parable was mainly focused on the youngest son. But when we compare the verses, okay, which I did, I counted, there are 10 verses that is uh, dedicated to the story of the youngest son. But then there are eight verses, which is relatively the same amount of emphasis that is given to the older son. That was revelationary to me. I only discovered it this week. Wow. And this morning, for me at least, I could relate with the older son situation. And I believe many of you here, very quiet, very obedient, very responsible. I believe this is a message for you as well. Let's look at what happens in verse 25. Now, meanwhile, the older son was out in the fields working hard, so obedient, so responsible. And when he returned home, he heard there was music and dancing in the house. What's going on? And so he calls the servant. One of the servants said, hey, what's happening? How come there's music and partying going on? And the servant replies, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. Look at the response of the older son. Verse 28. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Look at the language of the older brother. It is so obvious that he had identified as an obedient slave. All these years I have slaved for you. All these years I've been so obedient, I never denied a single thing that you asked me to do. 
And after all these years of my obedience and faithfulness, you never threw a party for me. You never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Now, unfortunately, this man had identified as a slave. He did not see his position as a son as having the right to take the goat. He never saw that he had the right to ask for the father, can I have this? Can I have a day off? Can I relax? He only saw himself as being obedient and having to work. And so he accuses the father of preferential treatment. What is this, you know? This person was a horrible sinner, you know? He was like a drunkard. He was, he only, he was so irresponsible. He, he cursed you. He treat, mistreated you. And then you are celebrating him. Why don't you celebrate me? But today we want to look at the response of the father. Wow. This is such a parable, such a powerful parable that truly shows the grace and love and the extent of our Heavenly Father to go out to reach to us and to show us that you, we are His precious children. Now in a party, the host, a good host, would focus his attention on taking care, taking care of the VIP. Am I right? A good host would give their fullest attention in taking care of the important person in a party. Correct? A good host would do that. And we believe God is a good host. And if he's showing a big party, he would give his love and attention to the one who is most important. Makes sense. But the father leaves the house. The father leaves the party, which is a repeated theme in the three parables of the redemption. The shepherd leaves the other 99 to look for the one. The lady forgets about the rest of the coins and searches the whole home for the single coin. The father leaves the celebration for the lost son. And what does he do? The scripture says he begs the older son. This morning, Perhaps you have felt that God has forgotten you. Perhaps you felt that I'm not a child, I'm only a servant or a slave. I want you to hear this. God went to the extent of sending His one and only beloved Son to die on the cross so that you and I would hear his heart and return back to him. Verse 31, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. My dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. Can I bring your attention back to the book of John, chapter 15? 
that talks about abiding in God. And only when we abide in Him and He abides in us can we produce great fruit. John 15 verse 7 says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You have always been with me. You have always been by my side and everything I have is yours. To those of you who have believed, like the older son, that you are merely a slave, you are not. You are a child of God. And even though here on this earth you may feel that you have overlooked, God is faithful. He sees all the works that you have been, all the good things that you have done for Him and for those in the family. God knows, and ultimately, our reward for those who are faithful is Him. The great grand robe is already hanging in your cupboard. The expensive jewellery is already in your drawers. And the sandals are already covering your feet. You are a son of God. Do not let the lies of the devil, the chains of the enemy, the accusations of this world make you believe that you are anything less. We are called to serve. We are called to slave for God. That is what we do. That is our mission. But it is not our identity. It is not our identity. You are a child of God. Say it with me. I am a child of God. Say it again. I am a child of God. One last time. I am a child of God. And no enemy is going to steal that right from any one of you. If the devil has been limiting you from this belief, we reject in Jesus' name. You are a child of God. You have His love and His protection. You have been set free from the chains of your sins. You've been called to live victoriously as a child of God. Do not allow limiting beliefs to stumble you or to hinder you from building that precious relationship with God. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I had believed that I was a slave for many, many, many years. I had believed that because God gave, called me and didn't give me a chance to run away, I felt like a slave. I felt that I had no choice. I had to go into Bible college. I felt that I had no choice. I had to suffer through the difficult situations. I felt like a slave who had to obey because of the limiting beliefs. And if, you've, if you remember me preaching sometime earlier this year or last year, I struggled. I struggled to understand the concept of a loving father. I couldn't get it. I knew the word of God said, I love you. You're my child. I love you. But I had forgotten what that meant. Because of things that happened, I had built my defenses. I, I held up a wall so that I would not, could not 
fully grasped what it meant to be loved by God. This morning, we need to break down those walls. This morning, we need to cast away all those lies. And we, we, need, we need to grab once again your identity, that you are a child of God. So let me ask you this question again. Who are you? What is your identity? Can I invite the worship team to come on stage, please? This morning, I believe God is telling us to redefine our identity. I believe God is calling us to relook into our relationship with Him. If we want to worship Him, we need to fully understand who we are in His presence. God wants to have that relationship with us and He wants to restore our rights as the children of God. And so, if you have been feeling unworthy, I want to pray for you. If you felt that you have committed sins so heinous, so unmentionable, God can forgive. And if you have locked yourself in the mindset that no, 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 I'm not worthy, I can only be a servant. God wants to throw that rope onto you. He wants to give you His protection and His love. He wants to give you the authority that a child, a true child of God deserves. And He wants to provide you your needs. One thing I have learned and one thing that God told me as I'm reading this passage, that the youngest son he had planned. Okay, I need to do this step. This step. I need to repent. I need to come back and I need to do this plan and then make sure that I can earn my favour back with God. And I don't know if that's you. You may have tried to earn your favour back with God. But even before the youngest son could say anything, the father responds by showing his love. You may feel unworthy and you may feel lost. And this morning, perhaps you don't know God. I don't know how to come back. God, I've tried many times and I've stumbled and I've fallen over and over again. I don't know how to do it. Come as you are. Do what you can. God sees you from afar. And He will meet you the rest of the way. Repent. Take the first step turning to God and He will meet you the rest of the way. You are a child of God. God wants to celebrate you. Don't let your limiting beliefs hinder you. Or perhaps you have been the obedient one and you've seen the favour of God. Wow, God, you bless other people, you bless and you've forgotten me. This morning, I want to pray for you. We need to break the chains of slavehood mentality. We are not slaves. We are the precious, beloved children of God. 
And if you have built up walls of defences to prevent you from getting hurt, we need to lower those things down. Lower down the walls. Break the obstacles and the hindrances that have been blinding you from seeing that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are important to Him. And He wants to bring you back into the party to enjoy the celebration. Let us restore that relationship with God that He so desires for each and every one of us. You are a child of God. 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 I am a child of God. God loves me. He wants to have that relationship with me. He wants to restore that relationship with me. Wherever it is that you are, God wants to meet you where you are. He wants to draw you back. And He's shown this great willingness by paying that sacrifice. Don't stay away. Don't stand outside of the party. But accept His invitation and enter into the great party.